Yes, you need to know history, and you need to make sure your children learn it. I'm Ray Notgrass, and on today's Exploring History podcast, I'll give you five good reasons why. Welcome to Exploring History with Ray Notgrass, a production of Notgrass History. If you're a parent, you have probably heard this question from your child, spoken in a whiny voice. Do we have to study history? I've never heard of these people. I can't pronounce half their names, and none of them are on Instagram. And to be perfectly honest, you might have wondered the same thing. If you've had this experience, here I come to save the day. On today's podcast, I want to inspire you to want to know history, to help you appreciate the fact that we get to know history, and that our lives are immeasurably richer for doing so. A side benefit is that you'll have some answers next time your child asks the question again, and you've used up because I say so. So the answer is, yes, you need to know history, and you need to make sure your children learn it. And here are five reasons why. Reason number one. History is important to God. How's that for putting a guilt trip on your kids? We know that God is a God of love, a God of purpose, a God of design, and a God of redemption. He is a God of biology and chemistry and astronomy. He is a God of math and physics. We talk about the laws of nature. Well, God wrote them. He is a God of literature. He saw the wisdom of putting his revelation into writing, and this writing, the Bible, has become the world's bestseller, and even this one book has several different kinds of literature in it. Really, if you stop and think about it, all of the traditional academic disciplines are man's attempts to grasp what God created. God is also a God of history. How many times did he tell his people to remember? That's what the whole book of Deuteronomy is about, as Moses reminded them of their experiences during the previous 40 years. It's what Nehemiah chapter 9 is about, as Nehemiah recalled Israel's past. Passover and the other festivals that the law required were reminders of Israel's past. What is communion, if not a way to remember the death of Jesus for us. And what did Jesus say about it? He said, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, Jesus was telling believers to remember that event in history. The gospel is the story about an historic event that happened, as Galatians 4.4 says, in the fullness of time. In other words, when history came together at just the right time for it to happen. God wanted his people to know history, primarily their history. The story of redemption in Christ, as Scripture tells it, is set in history and is not separate from history. We do the Bible and history a great disservice when we separate them in our children's education. History is a big part of what the Bible as a whole is about, as it preserves the story of God's work in the world to help us in our walk of faith. When you understand world history, 
you understand the story of the Bible better. You see the importance of knowing about the civilizations that the Bible mentions and that the people of God encountered, such as the civilizations of Egypt and Assyria. When you study the civilizations of Mesopotamia and then the Roman Empire at the time of Christ, you'll understand the roles those civilizations play in the story of the Bible. Let's think for a minute. What if you took out of the Bible the historical narratives and references to history that are in it, the references to things past, the stories that tell about the past? You'd take out the creation account, the narrative of Israel in the books of history in the Old Testament, some of the Psalms, the story of Jesus, and the story of the early church in Acts. Now, do you think removing history from the Bible would have an impact on what the Bible teaches us and how it teaches us? Absolutely. And what if you took out of history the people and events that have spiritual significance? You take out Martin Luther and the Reformation, Wycliffe and Tyndale and their courageous translations of the Bible, Gutenberg's printing of the Bible, the abolitionist movement, civil rights leaders, and also some unpleasant things like the European religious wars, from which the American founding fathers learned a great deal that influenced how they set up our government with its guarantee of freedom of religion. Our company recently received a request to consider publishing a secular version of our materials for parents who prefer secular curriculum. This person pointed out that not all families are religious, and where they live, the state will pay for curriculum, but only if it is secular. I replied, kindly I hope, that we couldn't do that. First, we would be going against our company's founding purpose of honoring God. But on a practical level, what would we leave out? Would we leave out Jesus? Would we leave out how Christianity has changed the world? How about those religious wars in Europe? What about the motivation for the founding of the American colonies? Could we tell how millions of people have been motivated by their faith? To try to tell the story of history in a secular manner is to tell a story that isn't true. We study history to honor God, just as we should do everything to honor God. We see how He has worked and what He still does. History and life are at root spiritual matters. So we seek to know history because history is important to God. Reason number two. We study history to wrestle with difficult ideas. Studying history helps us develop what are called critical thinking skills. These skills include such things as identifying problems, noting conflicts, learning the reasons for what happened, assessing steps that were taken that could have been taken differently, and other issues. In history, we have whole scenarios laid out before us so we can examine why things happened as they did. When we do, we can better understand why things happen as they do today, so that we can come up with good solutions for today. In history, we see the story of mankind in all its messy complication. History is not made up of clearly good guys and bad guys, good causes and bad ideas, events we can classify as good and those we can identify as bad. It's complicated, just like today, and studying history helps us develop discernment to know what is good 
what is bad, and what is mixed today. Let me give you just a couple of examples. The settlement of the Western Hemisphere by Europeans. Was it good or bad? The administration of President Richard Nixon. Was it good or bad? See what I mean? Oh, sure, there are some people and events that we can clearly put down as basically good or evil, but a lot of things aren't so clear-cut. History challenges us to think. Thinking is not always easy, but it's necessary. History is not about learning what we want to hear, what fits our preconceptions. We don't learn history to use it as a club on those who disagree with us. We need to know the whole story and deal honestly with it and separate what is good from what is bad. We study history to keep learning, to keep thinking, and to wrestle with the big ideas that help define the human experience. Reason number three. We study history to learn who we are as Americans and who we are as human beings. A historian friend of mine once told me, if you don't know history, you don't know who you are. You might be the descendant of an immigrant, as I am, or of a war veteran, as I am, or the descendant of a pioneer, as I am. You might be the descendant of a Native American or an enslaved person, and so on. Part of your identity are the historical forces that shaped you. That's part of your story. You lose that perspective if you don't know history, and that's a great loss. And what is true for individuals is also true for nations. The historian David McCullough has said, A nation that forgets its past can function no better than an individual with amnesia. Our nation's past affects who we are today. It shapes the debates we have today. Our nation stands on the shoulders of people to whom we owe a great debt, such as the soldiers at Gettysburg, Iwo Jima, and Normandy. We stand on the shoulders of leaders, such as Martin Luther King Jr. and many others. We need to know their stories. History tells us how far we have come. From our perspective, we can see how some people in the past had attitudes that we see as wrong and that led to wrong actions. For instance, yes, Americans practiced slavery. But so has just about every other civilization in history. The difference is that Americans helped in the fight to abolish slavery, and we still lead that fight today against human trafficking. I recently ran across some survey results that tell the story of change and growth in our country. In 1958, the Gallup poll asked Americans if they approved of interracial marriage. Only 4% approved of it. Today, that number is 94%. In 1942, 68% of Americans thought black children and white children should go to separate schools. By 1995, that number was 4%. In 1958, 45% of white Americans would maybe or definitely move if a black family moved in next door. By 1997, that number had fallen to 2%. In 1965, there were no black state governors or U.S. senators and only five black congressmen. In 2021, there were three black senators, 57 black members of the House, and hundreds of black members of state legislatures, including scores in states of the Old South. 
We've had a two-term black president and currently have a black vice president, a black chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, two black secretaries of state, and the list goes on. The list of changes in how races relate to each other is extensive. Does America still have to contend with racist attitudes on the part of some people? Absolutely. But America is not the same country it was 60 or 100 years ago. It has changed for the better. We hear the idea from some sources that racism and slavery have been the prime motivating factors in America's founding and in American life. We hear that capitalism is an inherently racist approach because at one time it accepted slavery. These are serious charges for which those proposing them give compelling evidence. But history tells us that the founding of America had many factors that did not involve slavery. History tells us that slavery has been part of every economic system, including agriculture-based, African, and socialist. There are flaws in every economic system because they are made up of sinful humans. History helps us sort through what we hear. As Will Rogers said, it isn't what we don't know that gives us trouble, it's what we know that ain't true. The United States has a different spirit from that of many nations in history. When Rome conquered Carthage, the Romans sowed the soil of Carthage with salt so that no crops could grow there. When the Soviet Union helped to defeat Germany in World War II, they ruled over the recently liberated countries of Eastern Europe with an iron fist. But when the United States helped defeat Germany in World War II, we helped the countries of Europe get back on their feet with the Marshall Plan. When American forces helped to liberate Iraq and Afghanistan from brutal oppression, Americans helped build schools and hospitals and opened pathways of true freedom and economic progress. Yes, we've had racial conflict in the United States, but it's also true that we live in a multi-ethnic society in which people from many groups have made valuable contributions. But America is about much more than the race issue. It is about freedom of religion, an opportunity, a chance to build wealth, a place to think and learn and serve others. To learn who we are includes learning what we have done, which helps us to know what we can do. We have something worth defending, worth passing on to our children, even as we seek to make things better. Historian Arthur Schlesinger, Jr., said that the debate about what should be taught in education in this country is a debate about what it means to be an American. That's how important it is to know and to teach our country's past. And even more broadly than the American experience, history helps us know the human story. We can learn what people have accomplished, how people have messed up, how they've overcome obstacles, and how far we have to go. History is our story. It's the human story. It's inspiring, and at the same time, it's gut-wrenching. It includes all the drama, accomplishment, failure, tension, and everything else that makes up the human experience. People say history is boring. How could the human story be boring? The answer is that it can be made boring by the way it is taught, with boring textbooks and boring teaching methods, but that doesn't mean the story itself is boring. Reason number four. You need to know history so this generation won't repeat the mistakes of the past. 
Philosopher George Santayana wrote, Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Contemporary economist and philosopher Thomas Sowell has written, somewhat less delicately, Virtually every stupid idea in vogue today was thought of by somebody in the past and has led to disaster again and again. That is why it is dangerous to neglect the study of history so that we have to keep on learning what is wrong with clever ideas the hard way. During World War II, C.S. Lewis gave an address called Learning in Wartime. In it, he explained why pursuing an education was still a good idea even during a world emergency. He said, Most of all, perhaps, we need intimate knowledge of the past. Not that the past has any magic about it, but because we cannot study the future and yet need something to set against the present, to remind us that the basic assumptions have been quite different in different periods and that much which seems certain to the uneducated is merely temporary fashion. A man who has lived in many places is not likely to be deceived by the local errors of his native village. The scholar has lived in many times and is therefore in some degree immune from the great cataract of nonsense that pours from the press and microphone of his own age. Historian Forrest MacDonald said that studying history helps us avoid what he called the provincialism of the present, thinking that our current times are the only times worth knowing and that the way things are now is the way things have always been. We sometimes hear the idea that history repeats itself. History doesn't repeat itself, but history rhymes. In other words, we might not face exactly the same situation today that people faced in the past, but today's situations can be pretty similar to what happened in the past. Here's one example. We have traditionally viewed college campuses as places of free inquiry and the free expression of ideas. In the late 1940s and early 1950s, Senator Joseph McCarthy created a national debate when he questioned the loyalty of anyone who disagreed with him, when he accused officials in government of being communists or in league with communists, including President Dwight Eisenhower and soldier and diplomat George Marshall, and when he smeared his enemies with guilt by association. One result of this climate of fear was that many people were afraid of expressing their true opinions. On many college campuses, certain speakers were not invited to speak or they had their invitations withdrawn because their ideas differed from McCarthy's. I had a political science professor tell me that she had friends who were fired from their teaching positions because their ideas did not line up with the accepted ideas of the day. This climate of fear destroyed the dynamic of free expression of ideas and freedom of thought for many years, until the Senate censured McCarthy and he lost his influence. But what we see today in many places is the same thing, just from the opposite end of the political spectrum. Certain ideas cannot be safely expressed on some campuses. Certain speakers cannot be invited or are shouted down when they do speak. Faculty members who don't use the approved vocabulary or who express certain ideas can lose their jobs. Once again, some campuses are places where only one viewpoint is acceptable. When this happens, people haven't learned from history, and they are making the same mistakes that previous generations made. Here's another example. 
A recent poll indicated that a slight majority of millennials think that socialism is a good idea. About one quarter of those polled who had heard of the first leader of the Communist Soviet Union, Vladimir Lenin, had a positive impression of him. But history tells us that Lenin was a ruthless dictator. He struck down his enemies and ordered the execution of the Russian Tsar and his family, and his leadership of the Soviet Union was, to a great degree, a failure. People who don't know the past are in danger of repeating it. Reason number five. You need to know history to be a better person. From history, we learn about people who can serve as examples of doing good. They can inspire us in how we can use our own lives. They help us see what is possible. After all, if it's been done, it can be done again. One major issue we're facing today is figuring out how people who differ, who have conflicts or have had conflicts, can get along. Are those who have differences condemned to remaining in conflict without any hope of reconciliation? Let's consider a few examples of people who had such severe conflicts that they went to war against each other. Union General Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain played a crucial role in the Battle of Gettysburg. Two years later, Chamberlain was involved in Lee's surrender at Appomattox Courthouse in April of 1865. Four days after Lee and Grant met there to arrange terms of the surrender, Chamberlain oversaw the Confederates surrendering their weapons. When the defeated rebels filed past, Chamberlain ordered his men to stand at attention out of respect. No catcalls, no humiliation. This is how Chamberlain remembered that scene. Before us, in proud humiliation, stood the embodiment of manhood, men whom neither toils and sufferings, nor the fact of death, nor disaster, nor hopelessness could bend from their resolve. Standing before us now, thin, worn, and famished, but erect, and with eyes looking level into ours, waking memories that bound us together as no other bond. Was not such manhood to be welcomed back into a union so tested and assured? On our part, not a sound of trumpet more, nor roll of drum, not a cheer, nor word, nor whisper of vain glorying, nor motion of man standing again at the order, but an awed stillness, rather, and breath-holding, as if it were the passing of the dead. Many years later, at a gathering marking the 25th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg, at which Chamberlain had played such a critical role, Chamberlain's speech on that occasion contained no bitterness, no attitude of superiority, no condescension toward the South, but instead it bore a tone of reconciliation. The Southerners were misguided, he said. We are one nation, and always have been. This from a man who had been shot at and wounded by some of those Confederates. He demonstrated greatness of soul in this, and we can learn from him about how we can move forward in our day. When Ulysses S. Grant was nearing the end of his life, he made arrangements for his funeral. Two of the pallbearers he wanted to help carry his casket were two former Confederate generals whom he knew personally, Joseph Johnston and Simon Bolivar Buckner. And then there's the story of Lucius Quintus Cincinnatus Lamar. Lamar was born in Georgia in 1825 and later moved to Oxford, Mississippi. My family and I lived in Oxford for several years, 
and one of the main thoroughfares in the city is Lamar Boulevard. Lamar was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, but resigned just prior to the Civil War. He supported slavery and states' rights, and wrote Mississippi's Ordinance of Secession. He served in the Confederate military, and later was a diplomat, representing the Confederacy in other countries. After the war, he was re-elected to Congress from Mississippi. He supported white supremacy, but then he came to understand that times had changed. He began speaking in favor of the Civil War amendments to the Constitution that gave black Americans greater rights. He campaigned for black candidates for office. In 1874, Lamar was approached to deliver a eulogy for Massachusetts Senator Charles Sumner, who had been a bitter critic of slavery and the South. Lamar saw this as an opportunity to help heal the lingering divisions over the war. His eulogy for Sumner brought tears to many eyes and was printed in newspapers across the country. In his eulogy, Lamar said, Would that the spirit of the illustrious dead whom we lament today could speak from the grave to both parties to this deplorable discord in tones which would reach each and every heart throughout this broad territory. My countrymen, know one another, and you will love one another. Lamar was later elected to the U.S. Senate. In 1885, Democratic President Grover Cleveland appointed Lamar to be Secretary of the Interior. In that role, he promoted more progressive policies toward Native Americans and was a strong conservationist. Then, in 1888, Lamar assumed a position on the U.S. Supreme Court, where he served until his death in 1893. This last appointment, by the way, made Lamar one of only a handful of people to serve in all three branches of the federal government. History can help us find a way forward. It shows us how people who have had significant differences can come together, how people in our country who come from various backgrounds can become one new kind of person, namely American. Granted, not all Americans have been included to the same level, but all have shared the same hope and many have contributed, and we have become a better country for it. People do what they believe they can do. We call this outlook a person's worldview. People act on the basis of their worldview, how they see the world. This includes you and me. If we see the world as a place where former enemies can get along, where people with whom we differ today could be people with whom we can work together tomorrow, we are more likely to make progress on what confronts us today. In addition to inspiring us, history humbles us when we see bad examples that we want to steer clear of. For instance, history shows us how often people have gotten predictions wrong. In 1899, the U.S. Commissioner of Patents said, Everything that can be invented has been invented. Before 1903, most people thought manned air flight was impossible. Before World War I, many British politicians thought a war with Germany was impossible, and one called the military tank a toy. In 1919, the prominent American writer Lincoln Steffens visited Russia soon after the communist revolution there and said, I've seen the future and it works. In 1929, an economist at Yale said that stock prices had reached what looked like a permanently high plateau. 
He said this three days before the stock market crashed. In the 1950s, many scientists predicted a new ice age, just the opposite of global warming. In 1977, President Jimmy Carter told the American people that we were running out of oil and natural gas. During the election campaign of 1948, it was a foregone conclusion that Thomas Dewey would defeat incumbent President Harry Truman. Many people believed that, but one person who didn't was Harry Truman. In 2016, almost all political observers were absolutely sure that Hillary Clinton would defeat Donald Trump. She didn't. You'd be amazed to realize how many people through history have been convinced that Jesus would be returning immediately. No doubt people have gotten much right, but people have been so wrong about so many things that it should humble us about making predictions today. And being humble makes one a better person. Winston Churchill once said, The future is unknowable, but the past should give us hope. How is this so? Because history teaches us about people who have overcome great obstacles, people who have fought back from apparent defeat. We see that evil ideas have been defeated, that communism fell, and Osama bin Laden was stopped. We see that researchers found cures for seemingly hopeless diseases and that people have gone to the moon. We see in times of disaster over and over again, people stop what they are doing and serve others, sometimes to the point of risking and giving their own lives to do so. Churchill's own life illustrates how history can give us hope. He spent time as a prisoner of war, but escaped. As part of the British government, he made serious mistakes planning the Battle of Gallipoli in World War I, and many thought his career in government was over. But it was not. Britain had its back to the wall in World War II in the Battle of Britain, but Churchill led Britain and the free world to ultimate victory. Do you want to face today and tomorrow with hope? Then study the past. The way to where we are hasn't come without a price, and there has certainly been loss, but much has happened that is right and good. We see countless examples of this in history, and we have a promise of the ultimate victory of right from the one who put this world into motion in the beginning. These are just a few of the reasons why knowing history is so valuable and why teaching it to our children is essential. In a time when some schools and colleges are moving away from the study of history, when the divisions in our country are increasingly bitter, we need to understand that the only way we will win is if we win together, despite our differences, that we can even be stronger because of our differences, and that we will win if we know our past fairly and accurately and move forward together as Americans and as humans. I'm Ray Notgrass. Thank you for exploring history with me today and for continuing to explore history tomorrow. This has been Exploring History with Ray Notgrass, a production of Notgrass History. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, and please leave a rating and review so that we can reach more people with our episodes. If you want to learn about new homeschool resources and opportunities from Notgrass History, you can sign up for our email newsletter at exploringhistorypodcast.com. This program was produced by me. 
Titus Anderson. Thanks for listening.